Hello, we are the Manic Street Speakers. We're slaves to the beat, slaves to the chord, slaves to the pleasure, and ultimately slaves to the god. Coming up, <laughs> coming up on our tour special, we chat to Dan from Low Hummer, catch up with pod contributor Jimmy Arundel, and chat to other Manix fans on their experiences with the tour. But first, let me introduce you to my real-life bag lady, the, sa- <laughs> the saviour of my frillies, it's Emma. <laughs> Thank you very much. I enjoyed saving your frillies. It was no problem. Can I just say, they were frilly. I'm excited to hear more about them. <laughs> Would you like me to introduce the host of this podcast? Your host is a man who can easily find a pub in which to charge his phone but didn't know where his passport was last week. Yes, that's the story. Yes, I'm going to make him tell it. He somehow still wants to be my friend, despite watching me eat a McDonald's cheese and bacon burger in roughly nine seconds last Wednesday. And he is amazingly tolerant of women who squee excitedly about bathrobes. He's Mikey! Hello. Um, yeah, literally just before we started recording, you said, uh, so we, we both went to the bath gig. Um, you said, so did you enjoy Bath? And I went, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Because my situation was essentially what happened is I was deciding months ago when the tickets went on sale, I was deciding between Bath or Bournemouth to go to. Now, I'm from Bournemouth, so I thought it's more likely that I'll go there, visit some family while I'm there. So I booked quite a nice hotel, you know, refundable and all that, for Bournemouth. For Bath, I booked a £15 hostel in a shared room with six people, thinking, ah, I'm probably not going to go to Bath, it'll be fine. (laughs) So anyway, as time went on, it looked more increasingly likely that it was going to have to be Bath, because it's nearer and it was just more convenient. Now, what I, because I haven't been in a hostel, I was going to call it a youth hostel, but as my girlfriend said, why would you stay in a youth hostel? You're 41. (laughs) Wow. I haven't stayed in a hostel for about four or five years. I totally forgot that you needed photo ID. So at first it took me a while to find it because it was like a, almost like above the pub. And I went into the bit that is just where the rooms are. And I was thinking, where the hell's... So this is, it didn't start well. Where the hell's my the reception? So I came out again and then it's like literally where the bar is, where, the, where you check in. And I, yeah, I just he said, "Have you got any ID?" And at first, I was a bit like, "Um, I'm, I've got my bank card and like, you know, little fake little things. I haven't got photo ID." And the bizarrely, I don't have photo ID. My passports ran out a couple of years ago, and I don't I don't drive, so I didn't have any photo ID anyway. Anyway, the guy behind the counter is really apologetic, and he could, you could see he would have tried to do something for me. But there was a woman who clearly was the manager or supervisor or something, sat about five, ten yards away from me, eating a dinner. And he was looking towards her for, like, some some answers. And she she was literally turning her nose at me. No, you can't do this. And she, she no, whatever, no, can't do, no, no. And I said, well, what about if my my passport is two or three years out of date, if I can you know, get my girlfriend from home to send me a picture of it. Mm. Will that be good enough? And like after about five or so minutes, she jostled with it and went, oh, yes, I suppose so. So so anyway, like by, by this stage, I was like texting you going, um, 
I think I might have to be on the street tonight. But so eventually my girlfriend came back with a photo of a passport, but it was the first passport I ever got when I was 17. So the picture in the passport looks nothing like what I look at now. And she said, two or three years out of date, we can, we can do. So I was like, well, she, she's not going to set something from 1997. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my girlfriend was like, well, why don't you keep your passport in the same place? I was like, well, it's out of date. I don't think I'd need it. So anyway, in this moment, I was like stressing to you, mm-hmm. trying to think, are there actually any trains home? Which thankfully they were, which I, here's another thing. I spent 30 odd pounds plus a tenner taxi when I got home oh, God. and nobody at the train station the barriers were up no no guards checked it it was a waste what? of mo- <laughs> it was a total waste of money that they said they wouldn't charge me for the room for the bed rooms mm. r- rooms a bit of a grand statement <laughs> <laughs> for the, they said they wouldn't charge me for the bed and yet a couple of days later they charged me for the bed so oh. basically, it's about forty-five, fifty pounds of wasted money. No. But well. but it was it was fine. I, I managed to get home in the end. You would but... never have been on the street because, although we, for once in our lives, <laughs> were not in, you know, a pokey travel lodge and couldn't have snuck you in. We were in a snazzy hotel. Um, I would have, at the very worst, I would have given you my car keys and just said, there's a blanket in the car, sleep on the back seat. Here's the two different lives that we lead. <laughs> I couldn't even get into a fucking hostel. <laughs> and you and your friend Kirsty were living it up with bathrobes, a free bar, yeah, um, a posh room, and I've seen how posh the room is now because I've seen your, your video on YouTube tonight. Well, yeah. in in our defence, normally when we go to Manix gigs, we are very much, we're both people who are careful with our pennies, uh, Kirsty and I, and it's normally a case of, oh, is there a travel lodge or a premier inn in the area? Kirsty has been to Bath many times and knows Bath relatively well. And um, she said, oh, there's a hotel chain called, um, in, did she say it's called Indigo? Yeah, Indigo. And uh, she said they've got an Indigo hotel in Bath, and I think like it, for the price that you're going to pay for you know a travel lodge or a Premier Inn, it's not actually that much more to go somewhere a bit better that's going to you know we're going to be a bit more comfortable, and it's really close to the venue. It's a you know less than five minute walk, so we booked it, and uh, on our arrival we booked a standard room you know because we're just a pair of lowly plebs <laughs> I'm sure Kirsty won't mind me saying that uh, we arrived and as a complete surprise when we checked in the guy on reception just went just to let you know you have been upgraded to our superior room and yeah we went up and we were handed this little envelope with a letter in it and the letter was like the bar is with our compliments <laughs> and so i mean they to be fair there was only one alcoholic beverage in the mini bar the rest was all soft drinks um and it was a lager and kirsty is not a lager fan so i had the bottle of lager but you know she had a san pellegrino that we we shared a sparkling water and uh there was a coke if we wanted the coke um, yes, there were bathrobes. There was a there was a freestanding roll top bath in our bathroom and a rainforest shower. It was ludicrously snazzy. We had an espresso machine. 
Um, and I think, I, I mean, we were almost more high about that than we were about the gig for quite some time. <laughs> because we did, we weren't expecting it and we just sort of went into this room and were like, oh my God, we're not posh enough for this. So, yeah, I do have to apologise because poor Mikey was going through this trauma and we're there like, we've got bathrooms! <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I had to meet you in the queue and, like, can you my bag? Because I'd, I'd Google, does Bath Forum have a cloakroom? Conveniently, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so I was like, well, I can't take all this into a gig. Um, so yeah, you, we went to the hotel with you. I couldn't go in because, you know, I'm not posh enough. And you, you looked after my bag, bag for me. And then literally, yeah, you babysat my bag, my man bag. And then literally after the gig, came, (laughs) stood outside your hotel when you went to get my bag. And, And what annoyed me most, like to sum up my day, I thought, wow, there's a Tesco around the corner. I just need like a bit of food and a bit of drink for the, you know, two odd hour journey home. Mm. And literally as I got there, they flipped the sign over to say closed. No. It was about nine minutes to 11. I was like, no. So I got all the way home without a drink, without food. If I had thought we would be able to sneak you in, you could have had the Coke from our mini bar and the shortbread (laughs) that we got given. There was that sort of hotel where like, you you feel very self-conscious walking past the reception yeah i mean it was lovely but it was a kind of place where we uh we we hadn't booked breakfast and we thought oh we'll check um you know whether they they, they are doing a breakfast and how much it would be to add it on and they gave us a breakfast menu and it looked really really nice and so on our way to the gig we were like oh how much is it just to add because you know you know somewhere's expensive when they don't have prices on their menus and um, and there was no price anywhere on the like little menu they gave us with all the breakfast items on it. So I said, oh, how much is it to add breakfast onto our room? And they said, oh, it's twenty pounds. And I was like, oh, that's not that's not too bad. And then they were like, each. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I'm I'm probably not gonna get enough porridge and bacon and whatever. Back to McDonald's, was it? Uh, no, we we went to a Cafe Nero and I had a bacon and brie ciabatta. See, this is why people listen to this podcast. Mm, yeah, I mean, just I also got some Krispy Kreme donuts. I got home at probably almost half two. Oh my God. Um, and I cooked a chicken burger in the oven. Oh, there's something really sad about that. <laughs> It just summed up my day, mate. It summed up my day. God. But was it worth it? Okay, we'll get on to it. We'll get on to the gig.
I left you in the queue and I went to charge my phone in, in a pub. <laughs> you got inside. You got you got the barrier, which is what you wanted, isn't it? We we were we were as we always say on the Nick Naismith side of the barrier. <laughs> the best side. James is quite good at coming over to the sort of end of the stage and doing a little guitar twiddle in front of the in front of that side of the barrier. So we, you know, I got some good, I got a few good pictures. He does a little little doodle for the ladies. He does a little doodle noodle for the ladies and we had a lovely time. Um, I, I do feel bad that Kirsty, who is a Nikki girl, the only time I've ever been on the Nikki side of the barrier was without Kirsty. Um, but one day, one day, although one we, day. Did, we did both have the conversation that if the are still touring in like 10 years we might have to start getting seats <laughs> because we're getting a bit sore in the hip you say about that i about seats i've never been in bar forum before and it's such a i mean it's a beautiful venue inside but the the standing space is quite small isn't it really small i wasn't expecting that i when we were walking down because there was a whole a whole thing um, we had a speech made to us by the head of security about how they were going to walk us to the bridge, uh, walk us to the barrier, and um, there was to be no running. And if there was running, he would have no problem turfing us out. Um, and how everybody was going to get the position they had queued for. They didn't have to worry about it. Um, but yeah, they walked us down in this like little huddle. Um, and... I just remember walking down the seats and thinking, where's the standing section? <laughs> like, literally, where where is the space to stand? And then, because it, it, you, you do, you, re- you reach the front row of the seats and it was literally just a few paces to the barrier. And I was like, yeah. what the hell? What did you think about the sport band, Low Hummer? I really liked them. Um, I I was I was told that I was making eyes at the the girl with the guitar. <laughs> I can't blame you. Yeah, she was very very pretty. Um, but no, I really liked them. I they had a very um, and I mean this in a nice way. They had a very dirty sound, yeah. like a very sort of dirty punky. We've deliberately put all our um, volumes and things up so that it's just a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> and there's that little bit of messy feedback which i like <laughs> yeah um and I, I i thought oh i quite i quite like the sort of punkiness of doing that i like that um i'd like to i haven't actually yet and it has only been a week and a half um and it's been a very busy week and a half i'm not gonna lie um i haven't actually had a chance to sort of listen to anything of theirs in a non-live capacity and I want to because I want to see how it compares um but I thought they were really they came across really lovely and their 
male lead singer i was going to just say lead singer but he and the girl both did some singing um their male lead singer was really sweet and i i thought it was quite lovely how because it was such a small venue maybe all support bands do this and i've never noticed it but because it was such a tiny venue they were sort of like um packing or packing things away like just in front of where we were and then they all sort of walked past us and the guy next to me made a point of of sort of calling the the lead male singer back and was like oh, i just wanted to tell you are you really good and he was like oh mate that's so lovely that means so much to us thank you and i was like oh you seem bloody delightful so no i liked them i thought they were good yeah. i totally agree that there's something almost like i don't know like mix like 80s synth kind of indie music mixed mixed with kind of blondie going on as well i kind yeah. of thought yeah but um, yeah, I really loved them. I loved their energy. Mm, they, they, I really, I did really love that they brought a lot of sort of. There was there was like a, an amount of attitude, but also a genuine warmth, and you don't get that very often. You either go yeah. one way or the other, and I just loved the fact that they both had like they they had both. They were sort of like, yeah, this is a bit of a punky song. We're going to sing at you now, and then also like, hi everyone, we we you know how are you doing and i was like oh my god i I just i want to put you all in my pocket i've since listened to the album quite a lot in the past few days and it's really good it's really good it's not maybe maybe a bit more produced than they sounded on on the night but it's it's catchy it's everything that i saw there really i definitely need to check out the album properly okay so this band then manic street preachers oh i think i've heard of them i haven't (laughs) What we're doing here? My brain just leaked out my ear. If you just do a one-word review now saying shite, then we're we're stumped. (laughs) I won't do that, I promise. Uh, I thought they were really on form. Um, The fact that they had all spoken, well, I say all of them, obviously, James and Nikki, because Sean is, you know, selectively mute when it comes to interviews, uh, for the most part. But James and Nikki have both talked about having really bad nerves about going back on tour and performing in front of people after so long. I don't think you saw a smidgen of that. Um, I think they were just absolutely on form from the minute they stepped on the stage. They did various songs from the new album and i've got to say they sound freaking amazing live i mean um james did fuck up still snowing in sapporo a little bit can i just say i didn't notice what did he do um it was oh it was one of the verses and he didn't sing the entire line he he forgot the lyric i think and then part of the way through just said (laughs) um i think i filmed it It's, it's in my vlog um but it was only it was a tiny minuscule thing and i only noticed it because that's possibly my favorite song off the album um but and complicated illusions sounded freaking immense live i thought that was absolutely oh that that got me like properly in the chest that song um i just it just felt so nice to have them back 
And for me, being somebody who is uh, clinically extremely vulnerable and was fucking terrified of going into a gig full of, let's be honest, potentially diseased people. <laughs> or the people of Bath. I don't know what, ev- what everyone's carrying around with them, do I? Well, the people I... of Bath should be clean. The people of Bath should be clean. Yes, definitely. Uh, uh, but, sorry, I don't know what that noise was. Uh. It was disgust. It was. Uh, <laughs> but I... I felt bizarrely very safe. And I think it was partly because um, I kept my mask on um, and partly because the people who were around us in the queue, when we were sort of starting to get into more of a queue formation, actually all went, oh, do we need vaccine passports out? Because I've got mine. And I thought, oh, good. Everyone around me is double jabbed. I feel all right. Nobody checked, did they? Nobody did check. And I wish they had. I would have felt even safer if they had. But, um, But no, just being back at a gig after you know nearly well certainly over a year and a half of being scared of walking into tesco um, was amazing and there's no other band i would have rather have done it for and i thought james was bloody brilliantly on form when he did his acoustic bit yeah. um his banter with the crowd was fantastic uh i'm disappointed that when he said just me and you and the crowd went ooh, he was like oh i meant it in a confrontational way not a sexual way <laughs> me and Kirsty were sort of like looking at each other because she knew i was thinking oh but <laughs> but no i i loved every second of it um there will be things that i will eventually go oh, i wish they dropped that from the set or i wish they changed this up a bit but I left on an absolute high and we went back to our ludicrously snazzy hotel room and did just talk for ages about how much we love this flipping band. And that's always a sign of a good show. Before the gig, my day was shit. After the gig, my day was shit. But for that for that hour and 30 odd minutes, I mean, I think I'd sent you a message like a day or two before the gig saying, as soon as... Because obviously I know they're going to start a motorcycle emptiness. That's one of my nitpicks. <laughs> yeah, well, as soon as they click into that, that's that riff starts. I it will feel things like might be normal again. Mm, and and you were absolutely right because the second I heard, I was like, yeah, no, everything is normal now. <laughs> they just seemed really primed for it this tour. Like yeah. if you see them a load of times, we have have done over the years. Maybe like there are some gigs or some shows where it's not quite connecting properly but i think just the build-up of like two years pretty much of not touring they they were just ready for it everyone everyone just they seem comfortable in their own skin don't they oh completely i mean we were laughing at nikki because the sunglasses come off and then the sunglasses go back on and then the sunglasses come off and then the sunglasses come back on and you could argue i'm sure there are people who argue well that's a nervous thing but i think he was on form i think they were all on form i think they 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 came at it with a proper sense of we're bloody glad to be back and that was palpable nikki's smiling a lot and he even did some of his little backing vocals which is always nice the new songs to me sounded great. The secret he had missed, I think, is even better live. Let Robeson sing. That's a funny old one, isn't it? The, 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 it it's is. like It's like they're teasing something about Know Your Enemy, isn't it? It's an odd one because it's one of those songs that I don't necessarily think about a lot. It's not, you know, it's not going to make it into my top ten manic songs. No. But when you hear it live, I don't know, there's something really 
pretty about it and and it felt really warm and cozy <laughs> the set list is overall they've gone for like generally the more known songs or the more commercial sounding songs but they've been throughout the tours throwing in like obscurities like we got uh spectators of suicide which was freaking amazing. It was brilliant, wasn't it? So good, especially because, and I don't mean this in a nasty way, it wasn't the album version. No, the album version is very, very dirty and... Yeah, but that, but the original version that has just got something nihilistic about it and, and sort of like, well, you were singing about this, but we don't give a shit. <laughs> I loved that. If we're talking about bugbears... Mm-hmm. Why? Okay, first your bugbear. Why motorcycle emptiness opening? I'm in agreement. I, I think I must have seen the Manics around twenty times, and I think ninety percent of those gigs they've opened with motorcycle emptiness. And I miss like if I go and see any other band, I like to think to myself, "Oh, I wonder what they'll open with," because yeah. you know it's a, it's it's just an exciting thing. There are always you're always going to get any band that has a really well known song are probably going to finish on it. So I never want them to drop Design for Life from the end. I love that being at the end. But I want them to mix it up a little bit with with coming on stage and starting a gig. And I don't know if they've sort of gotten into this thing of like, well, we always open with Motorcycle Engineers and we always open with uh, finish with Design for Life. But no, I'd rather they didn't. I'd rather, if you're, if you're going to do, don't, you know, you don't have to drop Motorcycle Engineers. It's a classic song, but like slot it in somewhere in the middle. Don't always open with it. I just get a little bit... It's a bit predictable. I do agree, but I, I guess to them, I guess from their viewpoint on the stage, they see the reaction it immediately gets, uh, maybe, and yeah. it, they think that's a good way to, to kick it off. Uh, my bugbear is, please, James, go back to playing two acoustic songs. Yes! I mean, he, he played Screen to a Sigh, and it was amazing. It was absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> Please, t- t- two songs, because I love James just belting it out acoustically. Well, it's. I remember when he he did Lachesessa Duraro, and it was amazing. It's one of my absolute favourite songs, and I love hearing it live in any form. But I always think like that sort of acoustic, stripped back rawness is just so powerful. And James has got such a voice on him and and such a presence when it's just him you don't you almost don't feel like it's just him on stage he's got such a an enormous presence behind him but like yeah i love that part of a show and i i look forward to the or rather i look back 
fondly on when he would quite often do an up song that you weren't expecting you know yeah. like when he would do faster acoustically um or something that is normally very rocky, very full band, you know, and he would strip it back and do it like that. And then he would do something softer like Small Black Flowers or um, This Is Yesterday. And I used to really like that juxtaposition between hearing something in a way that you'd never heard it and didn't expect to hear it and something much softer that sort of tugged at your heartstrings a bit. Another fan bugbear. It's never going to happen, <laughs> but you stole the sun from my heart. Yeah. It's never going to be dropped. I know. I know it's not. No, it's it's one of the ones that casual listeners are, are expecting. It's that one, probably tolerate and design for life. And yeah, no, I I could probably live without that one. Last bugbear, and <laughs> again, it's probably not going to happen. Like you love us is a great song, but it is all the time. Bring back Motown junk for a bit. That is true i it's been quite a while and i'm not gonna lie when james started doing um sweet child of mine i was expecting him to go into motown junk. basically was it worth all your bathrobes all your all your fine dining all your comfort all your all your luxury do you know what i i would i would go through having to have a luxurious stay in a really nice hotel again for the manics yes do you know what because i'm an idiot i'll probably go through what i went through last wednesday again as well you know i'm not gonna lie they're the manics i love them right down to my bones i'd go through what you went through there was even a moment like during that day i was like this fucking band honestly the things i fucking do for them (laughs) oh god the number of times i've had that thought over the years next up is daniel moyer from the brilliant low hummer on supporting the manics Wake up, it's another day, my head's in total disarray I need to go out and go get paid, I guess we all just feel the same I let go of my oxygen, and feel the panic closing in I'm dressed away just like the day before Now clamber on another train, the same delays as yesterday I breathe another sigh and say, I can't bear to live today I'm screaming out steadily, bleeding out emotionally I hit the brakes and fall down to the floor I call uh, Low Hummer in Bath. So many support bands, you can be a bit like, oh, they're not my thing, or I'm a bit indifferent to them, or whatever. And but I think from the moment you you struck up the first song, there was there was I don't know there was just that energy and it, wow, something special is happening here. Oh, I'm really glad you say that. Um, we really enjoyed it, and we were we were debating we were talking about this before because we talked to quite a few Manix fans who said you know they were name dropping bands and saying oh they weren't that great and on the 98 tour or whatever um, which was seemed a while ago um, uh, but to, for for us I think because we're brand new and still learning our ropes and stuff it was not to a hundred if that makes any sense so yeah but you know I'm used to playing to to sort of 50 people tops I guess um, and I've been doing that for 10 years and then Amy and Steph we had only played sort of 7 or 8 shows before lockdown and then only 3 or 4 before we got the Manix gigs so for us every single night just felt um, really special and really exciting and we wanted to treat it that way um, regardless of 
what audience was in front of us, and it was an amazing audience every single time, to be honest. So, that's, that's amazing. So you hadn't really played that many shows? No, and there was a few Mannix fans who told us, they saw us in Halifax, so we got a show in Halifax with Mannix, and then we got the rest of the tour, basically. we got Well, we got half the tour and then the full tour um, when someone else had to drop out, unfortunately. Um, and they said that by the end of the tour, it was like watching a different band, and that was just because we were so nervous at the start which ended up being excited by the end if that makes any sense it was um yeah it was a real test for us and obviously the the crew that that tour with manix were just really supportive and giving us tips most nights on what we could do better so uh, by the end of it we felt like a different band we yeah. felt like uh, we knew what we were doing at least yeah i was gonna say like how did it feel like going from those few small dates that you did to the first few dates where you were playing like halifax and and more like 2,000, 3,000 seater, seater places? It was cr- just crackers. Because, um, I've been, like I said, I've been in bands for 10 years, so I have done an occasional show. By by complete luck, I've played some big shows, but generally played to not many. And the big thing for us was just explaining to Steph and Amy that this isn't normal. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we usually play to nobody, and that's just how it works. And, um, this is, yeah, again, it was just... Um, it was a big leap, and but there were things that I was saying to the band, sort of a year and a half ago. It was like how you know things that you don't really think of, but thinking about um, how, you know sounds coming, how they work live, but also how you p- perform in front of people, and you know I, would, I could tell them a million times how things would go or how they could work, but until you're on a stage like that at Halifax or Bath that's when you realise uh, how to perform. Um, so, yeah, it was just a really good test for us. And once we'd done the Halifax one, it was it did feel something we, we could do, at least, whether we were going to be terrified or not. It felt like something we could get through. And then by the halfway through the tour, like I said, we were, we, it wasn't something that we felt we could get through. It was something that we were really enjoying every single night. And, and um, at first, we were only playing 25-minute sets. Um, the first three nights, I think we did 25 minutes, and then we did like a 30, 30 minute, and, yeah. and Manic team just said, "Do you want to play 45 minutes?" Which we didn't have, but we, we, you know, by that point we felt more confident and said, "Yeah, we'll play a 40 minute set." So again, that was really nice and a really nice way of doing it um, because we were growing in confidence each each show, basically. Yeah, well, I saw you in Bath, so that was more towards the end of the tour, but it there was no hint of. You know, you hadn't you hadn't been performing together either at that size venue or together as a band for that long. It just it just fitted perfectly, really. Oh, I'm really glad. I'm really glad it came across that way because it was still terrifying. Don't <laughs> <you>? <laughs> um, yeah, you were you were embraced by the Mannix fans on the tour. Um, were you aware that the respect was coming from the crowd while you were on the stage, or was it more? in the aftermath of like social media and comments and things like that um the first couple of shows when we i think uh we sold quite a lot of merch so amy and steph would do the merch and obviously the rest of the band it was our first time touring so our tour manager would have us whipped straight into the van by about half nine so we basically got to if you tolerate this and then we'd have to leave so we could only see a bit of manix for quite a few of the nights but Amy and Steph were sort of explaining, look, we're going down really well here, and people have bought merch, which was like a new thing for us, definitely. And then it was sort of once we, once we 
had done a few shows, we, we met quite a few Manix fans who obviously repeatedly go to every single show, and they were just so warm and kind to us. And they're just warm and kind, I can imagine they're just warm and kind to everyone, but that really just gave us confidence because then we'd look out and see them each night, and it was sort of like a comfort blanket by fifth show to see the same people just sort of smiling at us um, and just giving us reassurance. Uh, by the time we played Manchester Apollo and, you know, like we mentioned Jimmy, Jimmy was there and it just felt like we were in front of a really core group of friends by that point who, uh, yeah, like I said, had our backs uh, each night. Um, so, yeah, by the end of the tour, it just felt um, like we had our own little group of mates that were just looking after us. And um, But we have one song where we use, uh, like, a cowbell and a go-go. <laughs> and, uh, and about ten, ten, um, ten Manic bands have brought their own wood blocks in to play along with. They <laughs> snuck them in. And that was, like, yeah, it was, the ni- it was just amazing. It was the nicest thing <laughs> they could ever do. So, yeah, we met, we met quite a few... Uh, Manix fans and each one of them were just so nice and, and uh, yeah that just gave us confidence as we kept going. Well, I was going to say like um, there was an article I think about a week or so ago about tour- touring in, in Covid times I was wondering how it works did you have to bubble as a band or was it not that strict it, was it just pretty much uh, it, it wasn't it was, I mean we wore masks all the way through the day um, and we had different you know it, it just dep- depending on venue and everything like that and, and my friend had toured with another artist and they seemed I think they came straight out of lockdown into this tour and it seemed very strict ours was pretty strict and I think if we were in this time we, we probably would have well hopefully spoke to the actual band a, a, a couple more times maybe so we only had fleeting sort of conversations with them and they were super nice and super generous and and really supportive of us but um but yeah maybe maybe we'd have got a bit more time with them and also you know we were allowed in to to watch manix but obviously we we tried to keep away from the general public um as best we could yeah were there any uh set highlights from the tour that really stood out to you apart from the cowbells (laughs) uh we played so each night we wouldn't look out front until we were on the side of the stage and, and our guitar tech would tell us how, if there was many people there or whatever um, and some nights go okay it's a bit quieter tonight and we're still talking 800 people as quiet so we didn't we still didn't believe him but I, before we played Manchester Apollo it's such a massive stage and we'd had a really good sound check and the, the venue's just phenomenal they're all amazing but that was that was something else yeah. uh, for us and we had some friends there as well and, and we said just before we went on uh, how many are in and he said oh a few and he sort of said it sarcastically as in it was busy but we didn't realise so we thought we were just walking out to sort of 800 people and it was I don't know what for whatever reason but it felt like uh, it was two thirds full already by the time we walked out really hot and and it just felt like, you know, like a proper massive, like a really big show. And that was like, I felt like I had about five heart attacks during that show. I'd just been like, what is happening? Um, so that was a real highlight for everyone. We came off stage and was like, that was absolutely mental. Um, Barrowland was really good in in um, in Glasgow. That was really exciting. What a unique venue. But Bath was really good for me. I love Bath because I'm from... I'm not from Bath, but half of my family are, so I spent a lot of time there. So that was oh, really? yeah, emotional to get to play a venue there. Because honestly, in 10 years, I've never been, even ventured down south, being from all, besides as far as London, um, a couple of times. 
so to actually go back and, and know that I was singing on the same stage that my grand did when she was, I mean, she's 92 now, so she sang on there when she was 10, so that was pretty, yeah, that was pretty, like, amazing, because the venue's obviously just absolutely beautiful, so, um, yeah, I felt very privileged. Cool. Um, if we just cover your album uh, quickly, um, Modern Kicks for Living, it's been pretty much on repeat with me for the past week or so since since the Bath gig, but... I find it really hard to pin down like the musical influence of what you sound like because there's so much thrown in. For example, a track called The Real Thing sounds like you're going to a punk gig via uh, a rave. <laughs> so so do you have like a set idea of what your sound would be like when you're set to record? Or, or is it literally all six members throwing things into the collective pot? Um, usually how the song starts is with me I'll do a demo and then I'll bring it to the band and they'll butcher it basically <laughs> uh, if it, it doesn't land within 30 seconds then John our guitarist has got his phone out so that's the first test of any song that I bring him uh, and then yeah we'll butcher it and then we'll take it we took it to a guy called Matt Peel in Leeds who again butchered it again so he, he's sort of very um, yeah he's quite left field as a producer I think um so we you know there's quite a lot of pop like big like choruses i'm always keen on a chorus so even in the real thing if i was listening to talking heads i'd still want sort of a grungy chorus um if i was listening to joy division then he then i then i matt would lean into that a lot more than i would have um and really sort of listen to the records and go okay this is sort of how the drum should sound so that i think that gave us a different perspective throughout the album hopefully and we were learning as well because it was it was basically we wrote half of it in lockdown so we had five songs before lockdown and they were all sort of sounding like david bowie's fashion if that makes sense mm. quite a lot of that on the record and then um because we couldn't play some of the songs live we were actually filling them out and as like you know like a, a band in the fourth album will do which is going to the studio and go what should we make and so we sort of did that quite a few times because we couldn't get together we could barely practice together just because of lockdown restrictions so then we would go in as a as sort of three people rather than six and work on certain elements and that meant that we ended up with some dreamier songs like never enough and human behavior and tell you what those were all sort of made within a studio and they're all sort of a bit more listening to bands like broadcast um um, and, and sort of cocktail twins and stuff like that, um, which was not something I ever had in mind for the band, but it just worked out that way. And we realised that Amy's got this amazing voice that doesn't have to shout with me. It can be, it can sound really nice and quiet. And so yeah, we got we got a few more sounds into the album because of lockdown. Basically, I don't think we'd have come up with that without it. Yeah, to me, there's like new wave, like you say. You mentioned grunge, punk, goth, electronica, but it all kind of has this modern twist to it great stuff yeah i'm really glad you think so and the synths were a big thing of matt's as well because we just have no idea what we're doing with synths so matt was was massive on that and that really was, is a difference to anything i've done before is leaning heavily into sort of electronic stuff because the punk stuff comes yeah fairly natural to me it always yeah. has done and i always like quite minimal sort of production but the electronic stuff we yeah, matt and steph really worked together on those and created something that i've never you know, I never thought of so, especially on the real thing. There's like little sort of um, yeah, lots of odd sounds and stuff like that, which which we worked on in the studio and and a lot more rhythmic stuff that we didn't anticipate until we actually got in and then like okay, this is great and maybe something we'll lean into more in the future. So with more than one vocalist, is it easy to know 
who is going to sing what or or is it pretty much 50-50 democracy it's I'll just it's mad but up to this point it's just me saying I think you'll sound better on this song hmm. to Amy and then Amy will go okay and then it's just so happened I think that we have literally got 50-50 amounts of vocals throughout the album and that was not something we planned on at all it just happened that way and hopefully we can continue to to work that way because as soon as we came out the album we'd finished sort of never enough and and we'd we'd done uh, human behavior and tell you what so the quieter ones i felt like that was the way we should go as soon as we finished the album i was like okay it should be amy and it should be sort of sound quite dreamy and stuff forever it just should go that way and then we played live and stuff like the real thing and take arms and stuff seemed to go down really well live and it was like okay no but we, we should try to keep it balanced so i think that's our aim is to try to keep it balanced uh, and hopefully that means we can keep venturing out into different sort of realms that way as well yeah absolutely um i might be wrong on this and correct me if i am but the lyrics on the album strike me as i wouldn't say like overtly political but more social commentary is that accurate yeah it's social commentary definitely I'm glad you said that. Um, but as a band, as as six people, we we were chucked chuck together really. It wasn't like uh, you know, like it, you like Manix all knew each other for for years and years, and and um, as kids and and sort of grew up as a band. Whereas we we were because Hull's so small, everyone sort of knows each other just enough. And mm. I sort of created a group that was that I knew from people playing acoustic nights, Amy would play an acoustic night, and I'd say, do you want to try being in a band for a bit? Um, so it's very hard to completely agree on everything political, um, but we can all agree on where we are as Northerners and, and what's happening to the city, and, and that means it is social commentary, ultimately, yeah. Um, it is, you know, everybody is in agreement as to where we are as people and, yeah. and, and how, yeah, how the North is represented. Uh, are there any plans to tour the album um, in the new year? We're looking at April, um, I think. April to do sort of a headline tour, and I think our aim is to release a couple of singles around then. That'd be Ace. I can't wait to sort of record some new music, and that's the aim of Christmas, I think. And then, yeah, we'll aim for April mm. to do sort of 12 or 13 dates, I think, just to keep promoting the album. Uh, like I said, because of lockdown and everything that came with it, we, we sort of secured a booking agent and stuff and, and put this album together. We got a really small advance to, to do it and we felt incredibly lucky to have that. Um, but it was an absolute, yeah, an absolute stroke of luck that we got Mannix and it sort of really links in with the album amazingly well. And yeah, the whole thing was a whirlwind that's just, yeah, it was massive. It just feels like um, just lightning struck, really. It was just so, so fortunate for us that it all worked out that way. Brilliant. Um, thank you very much for your time, Daniel. I wish you and your band good luck, and I'm sure any of the Mannix fans that saw you on tour will do so as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, mate. And, and just want to say a big thank you to all the Mannix fans who've said like amazing things to us uh, and, and given us sort of a, a pat on the back throughout and looked after us. You know, we, we met so many incredible, incredible people, and um, yeah, we were just very lucky and fortunate to to fall onto that tour, meet an amazing band and have so many people be so gracious to us and, and look after us. So thank you as well. And that includes yourself, mate. Thank Brilliant. you very much. Thank you for that, Daniel. Brilliant. Have a good night. Cheers. Mate. Thank yeah. you.
my chat with fan Dean Evans follows and it's all about the Halifax Peaceful gig. Right, so you went to Halifax Peace Hall. I did, yeah. I've got a funny story about it as well. So, you know, those geek goers know that around 2020, when when you was booking your tickets, the uh, bands that you've always had on your list, like the Manics, were one of mine. And uh, then coronavirus hit, and it's been rescheduled, I think, two or three times now. So I was on my sofa, just in my comfies, getting ready for the TV and whatnot. <laughs> I thought, I'll just check, I'll just check Google. Uh, in terms of my calendar, so brought my calendar up. It said, uh, "Yeah, the Manics is tonight," and this was at quarter to eight. <laughs> so I'm like, "Shit, I've got to go. <laughs> got to go." So I just rushed, got ready. Uh, I thought, if I miss like half of it, I don't care, you know, because they've been on my bucket list for 15 years or 20 years. Never went to see them. So you know, I've got the F1 about to start on this in about 15 minutes, US Grand Prix, and I was literally like Lewis Hamilton going towards Leeds. <laughs> Didn't know where to park up, never been Peace Hall, not been Halifax for a long time. Managed to find some parking, walked up, so I'm like, you know, sweating, I'm getting in, like, oh my God, I wonder how much I've missed. So I got through, not even on yet. Not even on. So I got there at nine o'clock, not on stage. I thought, oh, I'll get a John Smith then. So what? So I got me £5.50 pint of John Smith. And then I just took the whole uh, Halifax piece all in. Have you been, Michael? I've never I've never been there, no. But I'm I'm more I'm more concerned about five pound fifty for a pint of bloody John Smith's. Well, yeah, the the, the choice weren't great, but it's just how it is at big gigs <laughs> these days. I went to the Ritz to see the Lightning Seeds a couple of weeks ago, because they've been on my bucket list as well. Another like gig that had been kind of rearranged down, and uh, they were doing Hobgoblin, but I think that was around six pounds, six pounds ten yeah. for a bottle of Hobgoblin. So I'm like, just how it is these days. It is. Um, but yeah, so it didn't make it taste any better. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, because it's John Smith. <laughs> it's just John Smith. So I like my Guinness and my dark ale. So, you know, Christmas is the time for that. But um, yeah, only John Smith. No Guinness. One cider. One, one or two lagers, I think. Just no good. So, gig venues improve your selection of drinks. I know, it is bad, not, isn't not it? Enough. Yeah, it is bad. You know, I know there's been coronavirus and supply issues and things like that, but come on, have, have more than Carlsberg, Heineken, <laughs> John Smith, and whatever the standard cider is these days, I don't drink cider. This is a but, pub- public service announcement. It is. Improve it. It's not hard. Um, but but to take it in well, the, the venue it's yeah. a beautiful venue yeah I've seen the pictures of it and it does look incredible yeah it's got all like these little stores in um, you know, little, little huts to get food from independent places food and drinks and I don't know what it's like through the day but yeah it's just it, it reminds me like a, a consensual square I've been to Madrid uh, Plaza Mayor and it's kind of got that small smaller than that but it's just 
smaller fields to it, similar fields to it. And uh, the only thing is, it's an outside venue, isn't it? So yeah. sound doesn't travel too well. Oh, it, really? Even though, even though it's got, like, I know it's, like, a, obviously open roof and stuff, but it is, like, there's still walls around it. That didn't help, really. Well, it's quite, quite low. Um, low, I think, is it about two or three storeys high, I'd say? Um, but I think maybe the sound system they had, I don't know if it's generally smaller than they would have for similar size outside gigs, I don't know, because that will affect it. But I was near the back. I'm not one of these crowds that the dudes these days, even though I'm only 38. <laughs> but uh, I was near the back, and it, it travelled okay, but it was just kind of a similar, as you would get most outside gigs, but you're just in a more of a beautiful place than maybe other times. It's like Keaton Park, when I've seen the Stone Roses play there. Yeah, I saw, the, I, I saw the Stone Roses there, yeah. That's terrible. Unless you're in yeah. you know, the first, I don't know, 100 metres or something, it's yeah. just going to be muffled. We were, experience those times. Yeah, we were there for the first We were there for the first night of the Stone Roses and it took probably, I'd say, about halfway through the set for the sound to be sorted because it did seem to just drift away. Yeah, exactly. And it was nothing like that. But I'd say... It, if it was in an iconic indoor venue, I don't know. I've never been Barrel Lands, but obviously it's been around since time forgot, hasn't it? Barrel Lands in Scotland or yeah. any others that spring to mind. Uh, so it's a typical, you know, historic indoor venues. Uh, I don't know, Albert Hall London might be another one. I've seen Morrissey play there. Uh, forgive my sins, but uh, I'd say it was a 7 out of 10 for the gig in terms of the sound, but it would have been a 9 if it was indoors. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was kind of the point I was trying to get across. Setlist was decent. I've got the setlist here. Uh, you got the setlist, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but bring it up. So, oh, technology. It's not yeah, your. It's, it's not your strong suit, is it, Dean? Well, it is because I'm working <laughs> IT, so you know it should be my strong suit. But yeah, so let me go through albums. So those manic fans that listen to your podcast that obviously die hard, um, of which I am, I'm not, but I've always appreciated the output that they've they've gone and delivered to us over the past 20, 30 years. So they've done four tracks off the Ultra Vivid Lament. They did three tracks off This Imagine Who's Tell Me Yours, two off Everything Must Go, two Generation Terrorists, two Know Your Enemy. Anyway, so yeah, they, they did two covers. So they did Bring On The Dancing Horses, which yeah. was in the middle of the set, seventh track by Apple and the Bunnymen. But... I didn't really take to their choice of the second cover that they did. It's strange to see bands do two covers in a set list, but they did Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Now, whether that's the partisan crowd thing just to kind of get them going, but the Manics have got that much of a strong back catalogue. Why do you need to feel you've got to do that kind of track? For me, it's just too commercial. And, you know, if I want to listen to Sweet Child of Mine, I'll go down my local pub. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. I, I think they generally always, most tours, throw in one cover version. Um, so, yeah, for, for 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 them, it's quite a broad choice, I would say. But maybe because it's it went down well at the festival, because they included it in the tour as well. Ah, right, OK. Because I like the element of surprise, and it's so easy to just check on what set this will be yeah, yeah. during a tour these days with online and everything. So... I avoid it as much as possible and just go in with, you know, and just be surprised. Because I think a lot of, um, I don't know, maybe the younger gig-going people, they like to know what they're going to play. 
Whereas I'm, even though you know, I'm touching 40, but I'm not there yet, I still want that element of surprise. It's yeah. like, oh, what am I going to hear tonight? Kind of thing. Because that's part of the night for me. So I didn't know the steps before I went in. But when I heard it, I was like, ah, right, okay. But I, it, weren't, it weren't positive for me, but maybe I'm just a miserable guy. <laughs> so what, what were the highlights? For me, I like the new stuff. I don't know how long-term Manic fans feel about it, or maybe you've spoken to some on previous podcasts, or just generally on the music scene, but um, when you pop up on the radio, it's always a uh, get-my-tap-me-foot-going, foot-tapping. Um, but I think it, it, it was better than I imagined in terms of the whole, not just set-list later, but the talent of how the... How the Outputted on the stage and, and how it came across yeah. the Spaniel their atmosphere of the venue, um, you know, they, they're just so tight as a band. Obviously, you've got to be tight if you're going to be going as long as they are. But um, just just very impressive from everywhere, from drums to vocalist to, to guitarist. The whole set was you know was really good. Yeah, that's re- that's really interesting because obviously, like I've seen them loads and loads of times, and as fans, we probably take that kind of thing for granted. So, to, for someone to come in and see them for the first time and see them, it, it, it's quite interesting to hear your take on that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was just. It was. It was a great night. Even though I went on my own, because the problem is, you know, I've not got as so many friends as you. Maybe you get friends <laughs> fashion, fashion picture you put on your Facebook. <laughs> You should just start doing a fashion podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're like uh, the Michael Kate Moss. But, um, I just I just saved those photos for you, Dean. <laughs> and the, the, the well-received, the sunshine, well-received. <laughs> but um, I'm trying to think, so, it's like these, these bands have been going for a long time. Like, Garbage I've seen quite, well, three or four times. Yeah. But they're tight, and you've got to think, like, they're bassists. My musical knowledge is terrible, but I'm sure he's touching 70 now. Bassist or guitarist, can't remember. But he's getting up. But they they were tight overall. And Shirley Manson's vocals are holding up because yeah. you could land up in. Like, my roots from Manchester are, you know, you know, I was a big Smiths and Morrissey fan back in the day through my youth, and there's, you know, deep personal reasons why I've become attached to the Morrissey and the Smiths music. You know, my dad was a massive fan of them. Not really from the other side of town in terms of Stone Roses. Oasis are okay, but that's where you know, I kind of put my flagpole, as it were, uh, within that. And if you just listen to Morrissey these days and maybe the past 10 years, despite all the media stuff uh, and some of the silly things he comes out with, uh, his vocals are poor. His batting band, you know, he's changed his band so many times, uh, they just don't come across well. No. And and it's a shame, really. Um, so when you're saying that, you kind of take it for granted. Don't, basically, because you don't know how long you're going to have it for. Especially no. for these bands that are so close to your heart. And, yeah, yeah, that's true. So long. Yeah, exactly. They've been going so long. I remember thinking, when I first started seeing them in 1998, thinking, oh, how long, how long are they going to be about? I would have never thought they'd still be about now. So, yeah, and, and obviously, like, you know, they're in their early 50s now, so there is that, it's it's almost like that clock-watching now of how many more tours and how many more, more albums are in them. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
exactly. But it's interesting, I think, that they took quite... I don't know what you think about the new musical direction with the new album, but I, th- I think it is more kind of commercial sounding. So it's the kind of... I don't know if it's their intentions to try and open, open up their fan base to maybe some younger fans um, with them being around for so long. But that's not a slight on them because the output they put out, especially those two, two tracks that are in the, the set list, you know, they're really good, solid tracks. Yeah. That, that for me, that kind of did that delve in and out of the bands that have been you know, around forever. When they did say it was the Manix, when I heard the song, I was like, you know, I've heard this before, but when they said, oh, it's Manic Street Preachers or Wellian, for example, I was like, that was a bit of an, an eye opener for me. Like, uh, well, really, that's the Manic Street Preachers, but it weren't like, uh, that's the Manic Street Preachers. It was you know, more of a positive um a positive sounding yeah yeah i, I mean it's like positive shock that's the word i was kind of looking for yeah. so it's positively shocked my favorite kind of manics is kind of when they're being quite spiky and quite obscure and like sometimes a bit noisy that is generally my like know your enemy holy bible kind of stuff that is my kind of manics but i also understand that they're older now and they can't recreate those things or do those things in the same way now. And I just appreciate them for for the music they make now. They don't, you know, if if they were if they were releasing substandard stuff, whether it's punky or rocky or you know or like the stuff they're releasing now, if it was substandard, then that would put me off. But it's not substandard what they're releasing. If in my heart of hearts, if is this the kind of album I would want them to release now? As a, no, probably not. But once you're with the album for two or three weeks, it's like, well, it's bloody good. <laughs> you, you know, you can't you can't deny brilliance, and they're they're a brilliant band, aren't they? Yeah, fantastic. And like as I say, I, I don't preach to be a massive Manics fan, but. The, the one of those bands I've reached for where I just want to kind of change up and listen to something different and new. Yeah. And that, and that's what they've done for me. So when I found, listened to that on the radio, in terms of Orwellian, I reached for them to see, oh, well, what's the new album like? And I was pleasantly surprised. And you just want the band to be doing what they want to do, not exactly. what they want the fans to hear. Um, and you don't want them to go maybe like... Uh, you know, the Rolling Stones dripping in fashion that they can't pull off at, you know, the age where they should be wearing things like that. Yeah, totally. That, that's, that, that's my type of view because that's been an element of, of the Manics over time as well. Maybe that's where, I don't know, digging into you a bit, where a bit of the attraction for Manson came from because I think fashion for them uh, was a part of the whole funny you mention Manson because you've got history haven't you of of maybe let's say being late or missing things well this is how we met wasn't it I knew you'd bring this up so yeah <laughs> the other Manson conventions kind of bring fans together and I decided for some reason to go for a curry at the local curry house go back to the hotel eat it and I fell asleep so I missed all I missed all the second half of the whole convention in Chester yeah you missed which you, to Chester to. you missed all the live music yeah. <laughs> and it was, all, all, all for a chicken madras. I know. Was it worth it? It's like £5.50 for a pint of John Smith's. Is it worth it? Well, it's, it was a 
company that I missed, weren't it? <laughs> exactly. The legend, the legend that is you, exactly. Scott Piper. Yeah. We'll put him onto this, Scott Piper. Yeah, yeah. He's, I, I, he's going to talk to me at some stage, yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah, get him on. What a character he is. <laughs> oh, I think he's the only man that's got better fashion sense than you on Facebook. <laughs> but the thing, the weird thing is, when, when you... When you went, we, it was about an hour or two later, everyone was like, where's Dean? Where's, where's Dean gone? And obviously, because we, we'd only just met, like, we didn't have your number or anything. It's like, where, where is Earth is gone? And you literally said, no, I just fell asleep, missed it all. Well, at least I left an impression on you, Michael. You did, certainly leave an impression. And then we had we went to the Manson convention like two or three years later, the second one, and you actually stayed for the live bands, which is an achievement. And but oh, yeah. I, what I remember of you, what I remember you doing is you t- taking your shoes off. We were down the front taking your shoes off and waving your shoes around. <laughs> Exactly, like, yeah, th- those conventions were such, like, a positive thing, weren't they? And everyone was in such a good frame of mind. Yeah, exactly, and, and to be fair, I would have shut the guy up, but he's, like, bigger than me. I'm, I'm tall, muscling, I would have I shut him up with my shoe, but I decided just to use shoe with the <laughs> just wave it around. Um, do like a hippie shoe <laughs> Alright, uh, before we go... Um, now, you said you wouldn't mention this on the podca- podcast, but coming up in your list of gigs to go to, and I'm sure they're on your bucket list, you are going to see the Manic's great chart rivals, Steps. I am, yeah. Why? I bet people thinking, invite him back, invite him back, he's laughing and he's good. And then you just drop that bombshell <laughs> and the whole pod's like, blow it apart at the end. But yeah, I am going to see Steps uh, with my friend, and he's not been to a gig ever and he just put it on his Facebook who's coming to this and he's an amateur boxer and I'm like well I'll go and the reason why is that I did actually have a ticket for Steps about six years ago the first reunion but my mate had his stamp due in Las Vegas the same day as it turned out with with calendars moving um, so I did a, a thing with him saying oh, I can't come to Las Vegas I've got Steps at the end of the end <laughs> so it was time and he took it seriously weren't happy it's like the furious, like, well, you're not coming to the wedding then. I've had enough for you doing this. Obviously, I went to Las Vegas and saw the Steps ticket, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not missing them again. No, you can't. Come yeah, on. Can't. It's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. chance. I do have some other things coming up. I, I can't even remember what I told you. What other two gigs have I got? Oh, yeah, I've got a uh, Suede again. I've got Suede at Victoria Warehouse. I don't like Victoria Warehouse as a music venue, to be honest really not a fan, I prefer the academy, mm. those people who, who are locals to Manchester. Um, what was my other one? Oh, I've got San Tetiani in uh, Solterre, which is near Bradford, I yeah. think. Solterre Town Hall, which probably holds about 200 people. Well, San Tetiani's got a new album out as well, but it's not kind of the usual stuff. Before you go to these gigs, just remember to set a reminder on your phone a, f- a few hours before. So I came back from Halifax on all dirt, dark roads, 
40, 50 mile an hour maximum. I'm thinking, why is it bringing me down this way? And uh, yeah, I don't know why it did that, but this phone needs to go in the bin. I need to get a new one. <laughs> Not so good enough. If, if we can fund Dean a new phone, um, uh, tickets, also tickets for the entirety of Steps Tour. No, one's enough. <laughs> one's enough. Let's do let's do um, a fundraiser for some new clobber for you. Let's do that instead. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't need new clobber. I'm 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 a fashion guru. Well, no. Let's get let's get you like just a, away from your own financial earnings. Let's get you a little like fun pot going on from the podders. <laughs> you know, to buy you Christmas outfit, for example. You've done you've done your skeleton bones, haven't you, Halloween? I, so I have. we need we need a big Christmas bumper fashion show. From the Michael. Honestly, don't don't tempt me because that that will happen. Do it. This is why you invite me to ideas like this. <laughs> well, you only wait me for five minutes, and that was yeah about half an hour. Good luck editing this. my chat with regular podcast contributor, DJ, writer, and all-round nice bloke, Jimmy Arundel. Before the tour, you said, with grand ambition, I know, you're already regretting it, aren't you? That you, you were going to go, try to go to every date of the tour. What is the grand total that you made? Um, so far, it's three. Ah. <laughs> I mean, it's still good. I think it was, the, was there 14 dates, was there? Uh, I think it was 16, yeah. 16, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was always it was always meant to be a it was, it was I mean every tour I want to do every day but um, and there was the idea and and I blame um, and I'm going on the record with this uh, my lovely friend and editor Dominic Gawley <laughs> named said, and shamed he said he was the one who says yeah 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 mate we're gonna we're gonna do like one of those classic you know sort of enemy you know things where we we're, we're gonna just go on tour we're gonna go on the road and. We're just going to cover it. We're going to do every single day, and it's going to be massive. Nobody's done that for years, and we're going to do it. And I got sweat, so I got caught up with it. And I thought, yeah, that, that's a brilliant idea. I'd absolutely love to do that. But you've got to factor in things like hotels, yeah. time off for other jobs, um, travel, food, and it's just 
financially impossible, sadly. Yeah. Um, which dates did you do? Uh, some Peace Hall, and uh, I want to shout a massive, massive thank you to Nicky Wyatt uh, for um, getting in contact and uh, giving us uh, VIP tickets for that. Thank wow. you very much, Nick. Very much appreciated. Uh, Stoke and Manchester. Okay, so which like out of those were the highlights? Were, were they a bit rusty at Peace Hall, and by the time the tour kicked in, it, it was a bit more lively, or was it pretty much? So yeah, Peace Hall was absolutely brilliant. I mean, did you get to that one? No, I didn't. No, I've heard uh, people have been complaining about about the set list in terms of like there was a lot of covers, free covers. I think it was, wasn't there? Yeah, they did were absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I mean, like. Uh... Bring on the dancing horses was I think that's the only day that they did that and that was absolutely brilliant that was really good and I think it might have been the only day that they did um, don't let the night divide us I might be wrong yeah but I, didn't, I definitely didn't hear that at Stoke or Manchester and that, that, that's you know one of my favourite albums and one of my favourite tracks on the album well, that... it's funny because they're doing the merch around it but... yeah it really surprised me I think they the only time they've done it other than Halifax was that Radio Two live show. Okay. So I was expecting it to be on tour, and the fact that it yeah. wasn't. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the album highlights. It's, uh, you know, obviously that uh, Don't Let the Boys From Eaton suggest that we were beaten, which I think I mentioned in the last pod- podcast, was, you know, um, it's, it, it, it's this, the, the, the lyric of the album, as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah, but, like, Peace Hall was just absolutely magnificent. It's a really, really beautiful ground. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really cool. And what, like, I... Like, Everybody takes the mick out of me for it because I turned up, uh, me and Dom and uh, you know like Juliana, his uh, lovely wife, and um, we walked in and uh, one of secu- one of the uh, security comes up to us and she's like, "Can I have your photo?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "What?" She's like, "Can I have your photo? Can I have your photograph with you?" And I was like, "Why?" She goes, "You're in the band, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "No." Wow, who did they think you were? Isn't Nicky? That's the thing. I'm not all too short to be bloody Nicky. I don't know. Like, um, no idea. But like, I put, it, it was just embarrassing all round because there was like um, a lot of uh, all the uh, the lovely hardcore fans that are always at the front of the queue saw it happening as well, and it was just absolutely <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, was there a different? I'd say what's the word? Energy between say Halifax and the actual tour show, indoor shows, or Yeah, yeah. As yeah. Well. So it's going to be a bit of nervous energy there, and that was <clears throat> so exciting. But yeah, particularly Stoke. Stoke was a brilliant gig. There was a lot of band interaction between the crowd and stuff like that. You know, like uh, James was literally like talking to audience members. Um, like um, somebody, I'm sure somebody said they've got this on YouTube. And if you've got this on YouTube, please, please, please send me the link. For example, there was a bit where James, uh, for some reason, decided he, was, he announced that he wasn't going to swear for the rest of the set. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he made this pl- proclamation, but he did. And I shouted, bollocks! And he shouted back, who said that? And then looked at me and just gave me this weird smile and salute. So if anybody's got that on YouTube, please <laughs> send me that, because I'd like to see that again. But yeah, Stub was just absolutely brilliant. It was definitely one of the best gigs I've ever uh, seen them do. They just yeah. had this... Friday night excitement where um, they were just bouncing around. I mean, the three of them. I mean, like I know this sounds bad, but the lockdown's done them some good. They really seem to have come back with a lot of energy. They look sort of, yeah, you know, leaner, beaner, more up for it. And 
Stoke was definitely the night that they proved that. Yeah, it seemed like they were primed to be, be, be back out live again, didn't it, really? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I think they've just been, uh, yeah, hitting those uh, exercise bikes and uh, getting ready for uh, being on stage again, and it definitely, definitely came across. There is a general opinion from reviews and definitely from fan sites as well that the mm-hmm. band are, have been on form. Is that how you felt compared to previous tours? I mean, like, not to criticise previous tours or anything like that, but and I don't think it's necessarily just this tour because during the Resistance is Futile tour, I thought this as well. I just think that they've um, just things are getting better and better and better. They just seem to be getting into their groove, and I think personally, this has been ever since National Treasures, where mm. with National Treasures, that was the last time. When they use that tagline, this is our last shot of mass communication. And I think from then on, they've stopped doing what they feel they were supposed to do. And they've started doing what they want to do. Yeah. Like, they're not necessarily writing songs that are trying to be, you know, this middle-of-the-road rock anthem, um, which maybe Postcards was the definitive version of. That they um, are no longer trying to be, um, you know, this sort of... Uh, Radio 1 band that um, everybody can um, sort of relate to and that now they're kind of making more artistic statements and now they're making more things that they're interested in rather than what they think the public would be interested in and because of that I think they're making more uh, interesting music and because they're making more interesting music they're more into it and so that conveys into the live shows and so they're just more enthused with their own music rather than going through the cynical motions yeah they have been cynical I just think that they've been less practical and they've been more artistic and they're enjoying it more. And I also think they're looking back on their back catalogue with a bit more affection and less cynicism about it and they'll they'll occasionally pick out a, a random song yeah. and surprise the audience with it. Whereas before, I think they were probably, like you say, to around National Treasures, they were pretty set and they were like, no, we're not going to play that, we're not going to play that, we're going to do this. But they kind of mix it up a bit more now. Well, definitely, I think you're totally right. I mean, like, uh, particularly with the, the previous tour, um, when they brought out Solitude Sometimes Is, which is one of my absolute favourite songs, and I might have shed a tear uh, the first time I heard it, because I didn't think I was going to hear that live ever again. And um, so they brought that back, and obviously Sleep Flower, which I've been winding up Sean for years and years and years <laughs> screaming for, and they brought that back last tour. And then this one as well, where they've been bringing back some Know Your Enemy tracks, like Let Robson yeah. Sing. Um, has there been another... I don't believe so. There was a time a few years ago they played Found That Soul for about a year, but I don't oh, believe yeah. I don't believe they Oh Ocean Spray. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also they're doing um the, the heavenly version of Spectators of Suicide yeah. again as well, which has been absolutely magnificent to hear. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, as you say, and also there was um I know, um, I think it was uh, Jess, I don't know if you know Jess, and she's been waving her donkeys sign, and uh, <laughs> she managed to get a bit of donkeys. I think that might have been a stoke as well, which was great. Yeah, that's the thing, like, the, like, it seems like the set list has probably 16 or 17 set songs, and occasionally yeah. during the tour they did mix up, like, especially early on it seemed like they did throw in the donkeys or... Mm. or something else, which I can't think of the top of my head, which I guess probably keeps things interesting for them as well. Yeah, exactly, and that's the thing, like, you've got to understand that, like, 
you have to be interested in what you're doing and if you're not interested in your own set how do you expect the audience to be and so you've got to do stuff for yourself you know you've got to do things mm. that get you enthused excited and uh, make you want to scissor kick around <laughs> yeah well, what did you think to the sweet child, sweet child of mine cover <laughs> well it's funny you're saying about the scissor kick i was wondering like at the Radio 2 show, he did say, like, oh, I've got to get back into it so, like, I can get back scissoring kicking again. Was yeah. was he doing that early on tour? Was that right from the off? Well, I mean, like, so one of the uh, nice things about the thing at the, the VIP pass that I got is it, it came with a photo pass. So I got to uh, do, uh, this is a Halifax, uh, you know, like, be in the, the, the little front bit and take some photographs uh, for the first three songs. And it's, uh, it's funny because everyone else has got these amazing cameras you know with zoom lenses mm-hmm. and like you know all, all the thousand of pounds you know attachments and there's me with my iphone <laughs> um but i did get some brilliant photographs which uh, like a, a welsh um radio station ended up using which i was very honored about but um but yeah right from the off there was just that 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 caged tiger where james was just like right here yeah. i go here i go and he did you know like uh so it definitely felt like uh, almost like everything was go tour again. That, that that sort of springing, bouncing, spinning. It yeah, was, it was great. Yeah, in terms of Sweet Child of Mine, when I no. first knew they were doing it, I was a bit unsure. Yeah. Because I don't know. I mean, it's a great song, but I, it didn't seem like a very. I know, obviously, there's it's a big influence on the Manics. It didn't seem like the kind of thing that they would ever do live. But once I saw it live. It was like, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, they've got a history of Guns N' Roses yeah. covers. I think, you know, didn't they used to do back around 1993, like, It's So Easy yeah. and stuff like that. I wouldn't be surprised if they'd done Sweet Child of Mine. And it, the thing is, like, it's a great, great song. And, it, like, especially, you know, on a Friday, Saturday night in Stoke and Manchester, and it gets everybody excited. And it's a good one for all the, sort of the, the casual fans because it's something that they can scream along, you know, in between, like, you know, maybe a song that they don't know. You know, it's, it's great, you know, like, every, every time, like, you know, they played it, I was a bit like, oh, God, here we go. Yeah. By the end of it, I'm screaming. That's the thing, gosh. I think I'm, I'm just a glutton for James just letting yeah. rip on the guitar, and as soon as he starts going into that solo, it just goes to another level. <laughs> That's it. James James probably said it throughout the tour, but after Sweet Charlie goes, oh, I'm, we're available for weddings. He, he's well aware it's got that karaoke kind of cheesy element to it. But then I think that as as we were going back to before, I don't think the band would have done that ten or so years ago. No, you're absolutely right, and like, ironically, because they were perhaps trying to be so mainstream that they were, you know, with the, with, with the songs that they were recording 
or even maybe not even that maybe I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself I'm getting my dates wrong 10 years ago it would have been sort of rewind the film era really oh definitely. god yeah. So, yeah so yeah they were definitely not in that you know like to turn it up to 11 you know let's turn on the distortion <laughs> let's melt some faces so yeah you're totally right yeah okay so in terms of the album we've had a good few weeks of the album has the listening experience evolved with you anymore yeah i mean like I, I, luckily i got a copy of it i mean um you know i'd, I'd, I'd heard it before yeah we we know we know you're vip no it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, uh, the, the journalism and stuff so uh, yeah so I was, I was really 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 trying to be tight-lipped you know because i didn't want to give too much away yeah. um, last time we spoke but yeah i mean like um what it is is it's just one of those things where with all manix albums like it's ostensibly the first thing you hear is the music and you either get it or you don't and you know i definitely definitely like you know like i got the music and then the more the deeper that you get just the things that you know like they notice with nikki's lyrics and little nuances and stuff like that like things like after ending it's got that e cummings uh, quote that they've been using since 1998 and mm. it's finally appeared in a lyric and just you know the, the, these little things that sort of stand out for you and like just things like when I first listened to it, Complicated Illusions, I really, really enjoyed it. But after the tour, when I heard it live, then I realised what potential single it was going to be. And then, lo and behold, it was. Um, you know, just things like that. It's just, you know, like things and songs that may not have necessarily smacked you around the face the first time you heard it, like Black Diary Entry, which just come these cosy, familiar friends, you know, the more yeah. you give the, uh, the record a spin and things like that. But how about you? Yeah, I, I kind of in agreement. I think the, the best Manix albums are the ones that, like, you pick out more with each listen or, like, you pick up a certain melody that you didn't notice or a, a, a lyric or a turn of phrase. And I think that's definitely happened with this one. Like, yeah. I, I liked it initially, but I think it's just there's a certain songs that are just grown and grown, like Blank Diary Entry, I absolutely love. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my favourite song is definitely going to be Still Snowing in Sapporo. Like, yeah. that is just absolutely perfect. And it's got all those manics ingredients, hasn't it? It's got the, uh, you know, the, the the melancholy, the self-reference to themselves, um, you know, like this, this, it's about history, but their own history. Um, it's, it's very widescreen melancholia, which is a, a phrase that they use often. And uh, I absolutely love that song. And it's been great hearing that live when they played it. Yeah, so yeah. They did it in Halifax, but I know they did it the other day. So well, it's that, just gorgeous. That's the thing. Like, they've been doing that a bit strangely live, haven't they? They've been, it's just been James on his own without any backing until, you know, the guitars kick in. And that was quite an unusual move. Yeah, no, it's nice to have that sort of dynamic just to sort of mix things up and uh, I guess it gives again that, that, that dramatic uh, lift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and from what I've seen on videos and from the gig that I went to, like, everyone was, like, totally silenced when James was doing it. It was just like... Respectful or inspired silence. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Which thing did you do? Uh, I did bath. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. What were the highlights for you at those uh, I'd have to say, um, God, I'm trying to I've gone blank now. What? <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. I'm talking. I'm going to talk with it to Emma tonight because um, she was there too. Um, this is the thing. Look, I'm, 
I'm just going to say, because obviously I'm normally the person that interviews people. You're pretty much the only person that ever interviews me. <laughs> and it terrifies me. That is exactly when somebody asks me a question and yeah. I just have that, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. cringe. Sorry that I did it to you. No, it's all right. It's like initially because obviously, like running the podcast and being on the social media as I am, I I couldn't stay away from the spoilers yeah. of the set list. And of my initial reaction was like, "Oh, I mean, they're all great songs, but it was a bit mid. It was going to be a bit mid-paced." Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think there was an element of that. It worked. It still worked because <laughs> obviously they bring the energy to it. But I'd say overall, the songs generally were quite mid-paced. Yes. But that didn't affect my enjoyment of it. It's just like you say, the band's evolved, and it's probably how they think that set will fit into their new album stuff as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, I loved it. I mean, James, I just love just j- seeing James on form and firing and smiling and being being cheeky with the crowd and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, Stoke he was definitely like that. And Manchester, what was great is Nicky really, really, really seemed to enjoy. Manchester, yeah. Like um, you know, obviously, he always wears his sunglasses to have that sort of protection and that you know, like literal barrier between him and the world. And he's taking his sunglasses off, giving the fans a lot of eye contact and grinning ear to ear. Yeah. Which is good to see him, especially because he's obviously had a bit of a rough time with his mum oh, and everything. Cool. So it's good to see him really enjoy himself. Yeah. Um, the only one downside is, and I think it's just a sign that Manic's fans are getting old, like like <laughs> me. Is like I would have loved a bit of a jump around. Yeah. But it wasn't really happening. <laughs> like there, there was a, a couple of people next to me. Like we were literally up, jumping up and down on the spot for yeah. some of the songs, but there wasn't like a a big wave of it. And I wasn't expecting it to be because obviously you know some fans in the fifties and sixties, I get that. But that's that to me as I lo- I love that element of, of of a gig. Yeah, I mean like. Um... I'm, I'm one of these people that turns up like uh, as, as early as I can get there and I'm queuing up as early as I can get there and if I'm not on the barrier I'm not a happy person mm. and um, but I do like go mental to every single song <laughs> and I'm very very sorry to everybody that's stood behind <laughs> me because I'm sure my shoulder's connected to a lot of people's chins in the past and I'm very very sorry <laughs> <laughs> so, it's all part of it well I think so as you say that there is a lot of people who have grown up with the band yeah. and who might not necessarily have been their age back in 1992 who might have been 10 years older you know and uh, they're, they're, they're just as loyal and just as hardcore but not as uh, maybe uh, up for a mosh pit <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true all right thank you very much jimmy i will let you get on to your dj set this afternoon Thank you very much. Can I just quickly also say that um, one of the big highlights of the tour was the selection of Low Hummer uh, as the support band. Uh, they're old, old friends, especially uh, Dan Moyer, uh, the singer. Band from Hull and obviously also from Hull. I've known them for a long time and actually saw them play at the festival um, that I'm DJing today last night. And uh, they had a great reaction from the audience everywhere they did played. And I was very, very proud of them. So much love to those guys. And uh, make sure that you get uh, their uh, record, Modern Tricks for Living. So please, everybody's listening to this, um, go out and buy Modern Tricks for Living by Low Hummer if you enjoyed them. And um, yeah, they're brilliant. All right. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you very much for having me on the show again. I really appreciate it. Keep up the hard work. You're doing a brilliant job. Thank you.
lastly we go north with Scott Piper and his take on the Glasgow Barrel Landscape. that you're not at a gig tonight and I can talk to you. Yeah, well, I think, uh, well, after my kind of illness last week, uh, I'm glad I don't have gigs this week, just trying to get back to normal. Because you are pretty much um, very full on with gigs, aren't you? You go to, how many do you reckon you go to in a month? In a month, well, that's just getting back into it again, so, I mean, but uh, I think since I started going to gigs again, which was near the end of, what was that, August? Yeah. So that's like in two months. I'd say that's me. I've been to fourteen in two months. That's not too bad. That's pretty good considering just coming back at a lockdown. If you know what I mean, yeah. different venues have got different kind of stipulations how you get in and things like oh, that. Oh, of course. In Sc- Scotland, in Scotland and Wales, it is slightly different, isn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, we've basically, you're advised to do a flow test the day before some places. Well, I think it's changed now. Let's see if I go to Barrowlands tomorrow. Because it's over 500, I've got to show my two jags, the passport and things like that as well, or you wouldn't get in. I hear lots of things about the Barrowlands. I hear, it, I mean, it's obviously an iconic venue, and I hear yeah. about I hear about the, the spring in the in the floor. The bouncy uh, floor, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do, does it live up to that? It does, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I say I'm lucky enough, I'm half an hour away in the train to the Barrowlands. Uh, I've been going to the Barrowlands for 30 odd years and see different bands. So when I was younger, obviously getting right in at the crowd at the front, you do get that atmosphere. There is, uh, it's a kind of, there is a type of kind of small spring feeling if you know what I mean. The whole crowd's jumping up and down. Yeah. But, um, so like, pretty much any band who ever plays Barrowlands or will always, when asked by journalists, say, yeah. what, "What what was your favourite show of the tour?" And generally, pretty much everyone says, "Well, Glasgow Barrowlands," because they, they they were fucking mental. So. Yeah, it seems, the crowd seems to, I, I mean, it's just less than 2,000 people in the Barrowlands, and if you get that when it's uh, jam-packed, the crowd are quite vocal in their appreciation, if you know what I mean, um, they're quite loud, they're quite, they, they sing along, they cheer the band on, I think you'd have to be really not on your game, not to get a good response at the Barrowlands. Yeah. So what did you make of the Mannix when you saw them? And how many times, you, how many times have you seen them before? Uh I couldn't think of a number. I was trying to think of that. I mean, I, was, I, I don't remember the first time I saw them. I would say since I started watching them, if I could ever get a ticket when they were playing, I would get. Well, they're one of the bands that every time they come round, if nothing was clashing, if I was about, I would get a ticket to see them. So I got that ticket at the last minute, basically because I never expected there to be gigs in September this year. Even no. the gig that got announced, so I managed to get a ticket at the last minute, and it was great just going in. Uh, as again, I just it was, I wasn't in the crowd, if you know, as much. I was standing at the side. Mm. But the Barrowlands is a good venue; you can do that as well. I managed to get a, just at the right hand side, got a great view. Uh, James Dean, Bradfield, giving it loudly and his guitar, mm-hmm. the usual stuff. So I, I'm glad I got the ticket because again, it was great to see them again. Great to see them live, especially after not being able to see any bands for about a year or so. Yeah. So were the were the crowd up for it? 
Oh, definitely, yeah. I, I mean, uh, the crowd were jumping about. It was uh, very good, and it was like um, it, it was almost jam packed. You know how obviously yeah. people are still weary about going into different kind of venues and stuff like that. But um, I mean, I have seen the Manics before quite a few times in the Barlands, and I've mentioned more than once things like it goes. Anytime we come up here, basically. We just phoned the balance to say, right, we, we wanted to play, we wanted to hire this for, we were just hiring this for a couple of weeks, if you know what I mean, we would play here every night. Yeah. Yeah, what do you, do you make of the new material? Have you heard the new album? The new album, yeah, well, definitely, I, I, like, I like it, yeah, it's good. Um, I say, again, um, as my mate says, uh, was it the last song after ending? Yeah. They say that song, that's one of the songs that can bring you to tears. Yeah, I'm surprised they played that, to be fair. Well, they played at the Barrowlands as well, and I, think, yeah. I don't think they started off the tour we played. I think they were just every kind of couple of gigs when they know trying out the odd new song and yeah. putting it in. So I know that was a bonus that they played that live as well. But I think that new music stands up and sits well with all the great music, the, the back catalogue that they've got. They always stick out whenever they come out playing. In terms of, in terms of like the classic Manic songs, which which are your favourites, and did they did they get an airing? Oh yeah. I like the I like him back to Generation Terrorists. Um, obviously, uh, they done he done Little Baby Nothing, which is just one of the, probably one of my favourite songs off the the, the first album. Uh, obviously, You Love Us as well. Uh, played that, um, and then just been through um, what was he done from Despair to Where from a uh, second album, which was great to hear again. Mm. I remember that. Seeing the Manics on top of the Pops right at the beginning, and it was that, you know, that David Bowie moment that folk have had for years before, where James Dean Bradfield was stripped into the waist. They had like Marlon Monroe tattoos like a cross, and they were singing You Love Us. And I'm sitting there on a Thursday night going, Well, listen, I think this is my new favourite band, <laughs> basically. And so ever since then, I've loved them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So I take them all in. I was there right for the first album, and uh, I don't say I've got a specific, I've just, I've loved the journey with them. I'm glad that. We didn't they do what they said in the first albums and sold 40 million copies and split up. I'm glad they're still here. Yeah, yeah. Music. <laughs> That's the thing, like, I've never understood, even with songs you're not that keen on or songs that you don't particularly like, I've never understood the concept of this, oh, it's a slowie, I'm going to go to the bar. Oh, I know, yeah, I, I, yeah, sometimes people will say if it's a new song, well, that's time to go. Yeah. And, uh, no, I, I, know, I know what you mean. Some people just go and they want to hear if they've got five, six favourite songs, if a band's got six hits, people just want to hear that, I suppose, uh, where I think it's a bonus sometimes when you get something a bit special that you don't expect them to play. Yeah, I saw Kate Nash about seven or eight years ago, and there was a guy down the front who literally just said, Foundations! Foundations! <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally about tw- tw- 20 or 30 times within the first few songs. And I, just, right. I, I, I said to him, mate, if you want foundations, listen to it on your phone. Go outside and listen to it on your phone. <laughs> he, he, dis- he disappeared shortly after. I think everyone was getting so fed up with him. Uh, you get that. People are uh, all the gigs, if you know what I mean. You wonder what goes through their heads at times. Yeah, yeah. You're there for the whole experience. If, you know, I mean, if, if you're there for one song, I mean, like, uh, <laughs> why did you buy the ticket? If you know what I mean, if you're only going to, you're, they're not going to there just to sing one song. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, what do you reckon was a set highlight for you? The set highlight, well, again, I think oh, well, definitely when he, he, he done a little baby nothing, but always again, this is, I think it's a wee thing he does when it comes to Glasgow, is um, obviously one of his, James, his big guitar heroes, Stuart Adamson for the Skids, mm. the big country, 
which doesn't help me in my mates because every time he makes a mention to him, we're nearly in tears because Big Country's one of our favourite bands. <laughs> but um, when he done that night, basically the first kind of the first couple of notes, you could hear him playing into the valley with the skids, and then on top of that, he started singing the first couple of lines of Chance by Big Country, and then they turned around and they done the whole version of <laughs> Good, um, Guns and Roses, <laughs> Sweet Child of Mine. So that was a pretty Interesting, it was, uh, it was a good thing to get that wee kind of thing with Stuart Adamson with his two bands and then obviously getting your, the big full band cover version of Guns N' Roses as well, so that's always a highlight to see when they do something like that. Yeah, he's, I think he's also done a, a comment which state it was, a, a dedication to their producer Steve Brown as well who died, didn't, didn't he? Yeah, so, in yeah. The I, think, I think he does that kind of certain places he goes with. Yeah. Things that we kind of think to tie into. Thank you very much for that. No, no problem, I'm, I'm glad I managed to get it connected. Lastly, uh, following the tour, the Mannix played two sets and two Q&As at Kingston Prism. Nikki did the Q&As and James did the acoustic. Oh, it would be weird if you have a way around. I would pay to see the opposite. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Um, yeah, so basically James came out on stage. Both sets were the same, bar the second one, which had the Design for Life one at the end. Um James came out on stage and basically said, I'm going to play some obscure songs. To which fans like us, who go to the, to the main gigs all the time, wanting those obscure songs, go, no! There's a little bit of you that's like, wow, that's rude, isn't it? So he opened with Sleep Flower. I mean, that's just a piss take to all of us who have yelled for that song at gigs for many years. He did reference that. He's, he's, he's basically taking the piss out of us, isn't he? We deserve it. We do. I'm not going to lie, but he's, he's taunting us. Uh, blank Diary Entry, which was really good. Donkeys. Oh. No, Donkeys is one of my absolute favourite B-sides. So this is where it got really good. An acoustic version of Prologue to History. <gasps> and that is when I think his voice really got into gear and he started pelting it out, properly pelting. Yeah. It was like, oh my God. Die in the Summertime. Yeah, I mean, that, that riff on acoustic guitar is really effective. Um, that is one of my favourite songs to hear with the full band because it, uh, you know, I mentioned um, Complicated Illusions really got me in my chest. Die in the Summertime literally makes my chest reverberate. <laughs> like, when they play it live, I literally, it feels like you're being pummeled, but it like, does. yeah, hit me freaking harder. Um, yeah, I, that's probably a bit much, but um, anyway, continue. 
I was about to say something like there are helplines available if you are being pummeled by bass in 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 rock songs. It's completely with consent. <laughs> uh, number six was Complicated Illusions. Oh, I love that. And yeah, like I say, and the second set was the same, but with a design for life on the end. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was really nice. The Q and A, Nikki seemed in good spirits, and they just seemed like a band really just at ease with themselves and that's really good to see yeah it's it's funny because i was talking about this to somebody recently who doesn't know much about the manics and i was like i feel like they've settled but not in a negative sense like you could say oh oh but they've settled now and it makes them sound like you know they've put their slippers on and (laughs) relaxed in a flipping lazy boy chair i don't mean it like that i literally mean when i say they've settled i feel like they know who they are they know what they want to say they know what they want to be and they're not bothered about going out and just being that and saying what they think now and it doesn't feel so like in the early days there was almost a slight forced nature to it like no no we've got things we want to say now it's like yeah well these are just the things we believe and um this is how we want to put our messages across here's a song and I think there's something just as powerful, frankly, in being very comfortable in who you are and what you believe in. Um, And I find it really inspiring because the older I get, the more comfortable I am in my own skin. And the more important, therefore, it is that I recognise myself in them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've kind of aged with them, haven't we? Yeah, I have grown up with them. My heart shrinks to barely a bus. A tiny elbow crawling to a quarter circle. If you really care, wash the feet of a beggar. Okay, shall we wrap it up there? Let's wrap it up there. You can find us at Manic Street Speakers Pod on Instagram, Facebook, at Manix Podcast on Twitter. Until next time. We love you one time, we love you two times, we love you three fucking times. Get pissed, destroy.